I found a quote from Joseph Smith, and it might be the most blasphemous thing that I've ever heard, and it's worth sharing with your Mormon friends. A month before he was killed in Illinois, Joseph Smith stated that he had done more than Jesus. You might be thinking there's no way that he said something as blasphemous as that, and I'm sorry to have to inform you, he did. Exactly a month before he died, he said, quote, I have more to boast of than ever any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep the whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. Smith here is saying, I have done what Jesus could not. That's, that's what he's saying. This is blasphemous, and you should encourage your Mormon friends to condemn this. Mormons, they don't worship Joseph Smith, but I would argue that they idolize him, and they shouldn't. There's an LDS hymn titled Praise to the Man, which the man is Joseph Smith, it's written in his honor. President Ezra Taft Benson said, quote, Joseph Smith has done more for the salvation of men in this world than any man who has ever lived in it except the master. According to LDS scripture, Doctrine and Covenants, number 135, verse 3, quote, Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. Which is high praise coming from LDS scripture. Scripture, I'll note, that was given by Joseph Smith himself, uh, right? Yes, this is... Uh, totally God saying this. Joseph Smith is a great dude. And uh, wink, wink, that's God saying this, not me. Indeed, both Benson and Doctrine and Covenants, both, they stop short of saying that what Joseph Smith did was equal to or more than, than Jesus. But when we have a direct quote from Joseph Smith himself on the matter, he says, uh, that's not what he says. He says, actually, let's take a look at it one more time. Quote, and I'll, I'll read a little bit more here. Quote, all hell boil over, ye burning mountains rolling down your lava, for I will come out on the top at last. I have more to boast of than ever any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep the whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. This statement is heretical and blasphemous. Jesus, he gave his very life for the church, as we read in uh, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus, he gave his life for us, for the church. Joseph Smith, he cannot claim the same. His death by no way benefited our lives. Without Jesus, the church would not 
and could not exist. So Joseph Smith is saying, you know, I'm holding this together. I'm holding together what Jesus couldn't hold together. Without Jesus, it wouldn't even exist. There would be nothing to hold together. Some people, they are desperate to defend Smith here and they will say something like, oh, well, you know, Joseph Smith, he was just copying what Paul said. Uh, But what did Paul say about boasting? If we look and see what Paul said about boasting, uh, we read in Galatians 6, 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, God forbid that I boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Smith, on the other hand, says, I boast that I have done more than Jesus Christ, right? It's Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I don't owe anything to Joseph Smith. I owe it all to Jesus. Uh, This one quote alone should cause every Latter-day Saint to flee from the Mormon church and to flee uh, with haste. I've had many conversations with Mormons and they've all rightfully so, I might add, upon hearing this quote expressed disgust at this sentiment as they should. Good for them. They should. I commend them for that. They should express disgust because it's a disgusting and perverted statement. It's worth noting, even if you accomplish something that is genuinely good, the attitude should be glory to God. The attitude should be God used me to accomplish this. This is God's work, not, uh, not my own. I went up to an abortion sidewalk counselor, a guy who uh, pleads with mothers to not murder their children outside of a Planned Parenthood one day. And I said to him, you've been coming out here every day for the last 30 years. That is longer than I have been alive. You are a remarkable man. And his response, what did he say? He said, all the glory to God, all of the glory to God. None for me, all of it's God. Wow. Wow, all of the glory to God. And I think Mormons recognize that that is the correct attitude, not the attitude of Joseph Smith. Even if you do something remarkable, the attitude should be, you know, God, he used me to do this. That's not the attitude of Joseph Smith. The attitude of Joseph Smith is I did more than Jesus. I did more than God. I did more than God himself. And some, you know, it's, it's, blasphemous. That's what it is. Some uh, try to defend Smith like the Desert News, which is a pro-Mormon magazine. They had an article titled, Joseph Smith was not arrogant or boastful, in which they try to argue two different things. One, that the History of the Church series, which is published by the LDS Church, it argues that that is inaccurate, which To that, I say, you know, hey, if you are going to try to denigrate the value of LDS publications, be my guest. I won't stop you. Uh, But two, they said that Smith, he was praising his followers, not himself. And to respond to this idea, I would like to uh, read the quote one more time. Quote, I will come out on top at last. I have more to boast of than any man ever had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep the whole church together since the days of Adam, a majority of the whole who have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast 
that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me. Me. No, he's not saying they never ran away from God's church or they didn't run away from Jesus, you know, under my teeth. No, it was, they didn't run away from me. I, I will do this. I have more to boast about. I am the only man who has done this. I boast. It's me, me, I, me, I, me. He is talking about himself. He is boasting about himself, not his followers. And like I said, hats off to the Mormons who are made uncomfortable by this. It's time that we push them to take the next step, right? If Joseph Smith, if he got this wrong, what else did he get wrong? Maybe this isn't enough to get Mormons to abandon him altogether, but at the bare minimum, and it should be enough, but at the bare minimum, we should urge them lean into this dis discomfort, study him more, study him from a different, more negative perspective. And when you lean into this discomfort, what do you find? Well, there is a lot in particular, his failed prophecy. Before I get to that, my name is Dominic Enyart. I am the son of the late great pastor, Bob Enyart. He died when I was young and he taught me so much. He taught me about apologetics, evangelism, different evidences and proofs and philosophies and theologies in support of the Bible. And when I was 16, I had a crisis of faith and it was so difficult because I, I knew that I hated Christianity and I hated God and I was in this horrible place. And then I also knew because of everything that my dad taught me, I knew that it was true. And so there was such cognitive dissonance within me that eventually the evidence, I, 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 I had to give into it, I had to submit to it. And I said, I, I don't like it, but I know it's true. So I'm going to submit. And that was, that's part of my story. And I recognize how valuable that evidence and that those apologetics are. And so it's my goal to build on, it's my life's goal even to build upon uh, the evidences and uh, uh, the apologetics, which my father, Bob Enyart, which he taught me. And I want to build upon those and to share those that he taught me. I want to share those with the world and share some of my own. And so uh, if that seems, and I, I want to equip you as well, you, I want you to be able to share these things with the world. And so if this seems like, uh, you know, a channel that might be helpful for you, if you want to learn how to defend your faith, this might just be the channel uh, for you. But Joseph Smith, his failed prophecy, it's bad. It's very bad. For example, this 1830. 33 quote uh, from teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith on page 17 quote, and now I am prepared to say by the authority of Jesus Christ, that not many years shall pass away before the United States present such a scene of bloodshed as it has not a parallel in the history of our nation, pestilence, hail, Famine and earthquake will sweep the wicked of this generation from off of the face of the land. And then later he said, quote, I am accountable for every word I say. But this never happened. It did not happen. People will say, oh, well, you know, the Civil War, it was the Civil War. A few problems with this. One, that was 30 years later, not a few years later. Two, the wicked were not swept off the face of the land. They were still 
you know, evil and wicked. There was a lot of people who were very evil after the Civil War. Three, there are no signs that there was anything supernatural about the Civil War, be it pestilence, hail, famine, or earthquake, right? LDS apologists, they will point to a few times where the North, they blocked off food from the South or a few weather irregularities. Uh, but this prophecy wasn't talking about, you know, strategies in war or, you know, weather irregularities. It was talking about dramatic, undeniable acts of God, right? Of which there were none during the Civil War. National miracles in the Bible, like in Exodus, they were not denied. They weren't even denied by God's enemies. Even God's enemies said, for decades after that, they said, we are terrified of your God because we know of the miracles he did. And he is, he is our enemy, that God, but we are terrified of him. We don't deny that. Uh, but of course, <laughs> there were no miracles like that during the civil war, right? I remember learning about the civil war in first grade. Maybe I missed it, but I, I remember we learned about the battles of man and brother against brother and father against son, but not miracles of God. This is failed prophecy by Joseph Smith. It is a failed prophecy from a false prophet. That's what he is. He is a false prophet. He is a false prophet who places himself above even Jesus. It's very sad. The Bible makes it clear that if a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and then that thing does not come to pass, then we shouldn't follow him because he's not, he's not to be feared, right? Joseph Smith himself, he even said, I am accountable for every word I say. So if you follow his teachings, you should hold him accountable. And so to hold him accountable, stop trusting him. Stop trusting him in accordance with his own words, but more importantly, in accordance with the Bible, stop following Joseph Smith because he is a false prophet who places himself above Jesus. And there are many future failed prophecies that he made that just did not come true. There are many. If you are interested in sharing these with your Mormon friends in hopes of pulling them out of Mormonism and into true Christianity, I made a video titled Eight Prophecies Made by Joseph Smith That Failed Miserably. In fact, for the rest of today's broadcast, we're going to be airing the audio from that video. And this is, if you are trying to share the gospel with your Mormon friends, it's so important to teach them what the Bible says about false prophets and how you should not follow false prophets. And so this, the, the content here is excellent to share with them. It's a great gateway into the gospel. And so with that said, let's jump right into it. The founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, has many titles, including but not limited to president, seer, elder, mayor, even lieutenant general, translator, uh, and most importantly, most notably, prophet. And a prophecy is, it's not this vague, you know, kind of hippie-esque, vague idea about the future that Hollywood might try to portray, but the purpose of a prophecy is to claim something about the future that there's no way anyone could know. And then if that thing comes to pass, then you have credibility as a successful prophet who, you know, you knew something that only God could know. God is speaking through you. And so prophecies in and of themselves aren't, you know, kooky, but people who claim to be prophets and then get their prophecies wrong, those people 
are kooky. Now, what's scary about this, if you claim to be a Christian who has a prophecy, you claim to be a prophet, the Bible says that false prophets are to be put to death. Now, when the Bible was being written in ancient Israel, the governing body and the religious body were one and the same. They had the authority to do that. Uh, nowadays, the church, we do not have the authority to put to death false prophets, nor do we claim we should, yet it does illustrate how severe of a claim it is to say, I am a prophet. When you say that you are a prophet, what's significant about this is your claims are testable. And so I want to take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. It's pretty intense stuff. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Now, immediately when someone says they are a prophet, that warrants a great deal of skepticism. When Paul came along, he said, hey guys, I have a new message. He went around to the synagogues, to the churches saying, I have a new message. Here's my message. And what did the believers do? Well, we see like the Bereans, the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They did not give Paul the benefit of the doubt. And if they didn't give Paul the benefit of the doubt, if someone in modern day claims to be a prophet, we certainly should not give them the benefit of the doubt either. We should treat it with skepticism. So what does the Bible say we should do when someone is claiming to be a false prophet? We'll have a few verses that I want to take a look at here, starting with 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, which says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, right? The Mormons, they love to claim that the Holy Spirit is leading them to believe the Book of Mormon is true, the other uh, LDS scriptures are true. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we should be testing these false prophets uh, or testing these spirits because false prophets are trying to deceive us. I also want to take a look at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Also, Matthew 24, verse 24 says, and this is Jesus again, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect, even the elect. It's pretty scary stuff. The Bible takes false prophets very seriously. We can take a look at 2 Peter 2, 1. And remember, the point of this is to illustrate uh, Joseph Smith, he's claiming to be a false prophet. We have to be skeptical of this. We have to treat him with a great deal of skepticism uh, as Paul was treated with skepticism because false prophets are so destructive. We have to make sure to test uh, their words. But there were also false prophets among you, the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves 
uh, bring on themselves swift destruction. I also want to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if this ministers uh, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. And so Paul here is saying, even Satan himself he deceives people. He says, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm righteous. I am the light. I'm an angel of light. He is deceiving people. And so we need to be very cautious when someone claims to be a prophet. And this isn't just a problem that we're dealing with today. This was a problem that we see going all the way back to, you know, early in Israel uh, in their history. Jeremiah 14, 14. And the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision. We see later in that same book, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, it reads, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They make you worthless. That is a pretty intense uh, claim. Now, it gets even more confusing because sometimes what God will do is he will allow the words of a false prophet to come to pass. And he does that. Actually, let me go ahead and just read this here. This is, uh, I'll pull this up. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 13 verses one through four. Uh, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And so essentially, if someone claims to be a prophet, we have to see A, if their prophecy is, if it comes to pass, because if it doesn't come to pass, then we know right off the bat that they are a false prophet. But B, if it does come to pass, we have to look at the rest of their words, the rest of their works, and see, uh, does this line up with the Bible? Does this make sense? If we continue there in Deuteronomy 13 and verse 5, we read, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. And so, obviously, Joseph Smith, he isn't alive anymore, so we're not trying to figure out, oh, should we? put Joseph Smith to death, but we want to know, was he a true prophet or a false prophet? And if he was a false prophet, then we want to put his works away from our midst. But if he was a true prophet, then certainly we would want to follow him. Now, uh, they, they shall die and be put out of your midst. That's what the end of that says there. And so 
Joseph Smith, he claimed to be a prophet, and so let's put him to the test. I'm going to be taking a look in today's video at eight prophecies made by Joseph Smith, and we will ask, do these prophecies, do they support his credibility or do they hurt his credibility? And then in turn, the credibility of the Mormon church, the LDS, the Latter-day Saints. And these prophecies, they are taken from official Mormon Latter-day Saints sources, either LDS scripture or a seven volume history of the church published under the authority of the Mormon church itself. And sources will be linked in the description. So prophecy number one is the coming of the Lord. And this prophecy, it was spoken by Joseph Smith in 1835 and uh, recorded by Oliver Cowdery. And it said that 56 years later, uh, that Lord, the Lord would come. And so I'm gonna put this up on screen. We can read this together. President Smith then stated that the meeting had been called because God had commanded it, and it was made known to him by vision and by the Holy Spirit. It was the will of God that those who went to Zion with a determination to lay down their lives, if necessary, should be ordained to the ministry and go forth to prune the vineyard for the last time, or the coming of the Lord, which was nigh even 56 years, should wind up the scene. And so, um, needless to say, right. So that was in 1835. That's when that was spoken. Fast forward 56 years. That brings you to 1891. Needless to say, there was no record of Christ's return, right? We would probably know about that if he did return, uh, nor is there any record that he returned ever since right now in 2023, I see no evidence that he has returned. Uh, by the way, the apostles of Christ, they went to their deaths proclaiming that Christ was, uh, true, that the resurrection was true. Uh, they said, I am willing to die for this. People don't usually go to their painful deaths, you know, unwilling to renounce a lie. Um, but the apostles, they went to their deaths saying, Hey, this is true. Oliver Cowdery, on the other hand, who uh, recorded this prophecy and helped Joseph Smith to translate the, um, uh, the Mormon scripture, the, uh, the book of Abraham specifically, he did renounce his faith. So, uh, you know, Joseph Smith, one of his close associates said, you know, I can't follow this guy. And so when your leaders don't think that you should follow their own teachings, that's a pretty bad sign. Joseph Smith definitely failed this prophecy. And that brings us to the second prophecy we're going to be testing, prophecy number two, that David W. Patton would go on a mission. He would go on a mission trip. This was a prophecy made in April of 1838, and I'm going to read this now from the LDS website. This is from uh, Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants, that is one of the Mormon scriptures. Uh, and we read section 114, Verily, thus saith the Lord, it is wisdom in my servant David W. Patent that he settle up all his business as soon as he possibly can and make a disposition of his merchandise that he may perform a mission unto me next spring in company with many with others, even 12, including himself, to testify of my name and bear glad tidings unto all the world. Now, this prophecy did not come to 
pass. He died that very October, and he never went on a missionary journey. He didn't join 11 others. He didn't bring tidings to all the world. If he did bring tidings to all the world, then we would know his name. You would have known his name before clicking on this video. If uh, he did, right, we, we would know about it, but he died that very October. If we just uh, take a look, it just takes a quick Google, uh, and this is even from a Church of Jesus Christ org from their website date of death october 25th 1838 and so the prophecy was the following spring he would go on a missions uh, a mission trip that was the prophecy given by joseph smith but it did not come to pass and so joseph smith also failed this prophecy but let's give him the benefit of the doubt let's say uh, just whatever happened we'll move on to prophecy number three that the united states government would be overthrown in a few years. So I'm going to read this. This is President Smith. I prophesy in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And so that's a big claim that he's making. He's saying, it's the Lord God of Israel who is saying this, and I'm just his mouthpiece. That's a very big, significant claim. I prophesy in the name of the Lord God of Israel, unless the United States redress the wrongs committed upon the saints in the state of Missouri and punish the crimes committed by her officers, that in a few years, the government will be utterly overthrown and wasted, and there will not be so much as a pot shred left for their wickedness in permitting the murder of men, women, and children, and wholesale plunder and extermination of thousands of her citizens to go unpunished. You will feel the weight of the hand of Almighty upon you, and you will live to see and know that I have testified the truth. And so what's significant about this is Joseph Smith. He made this prophecy in May uh, of 1843, May 6th, 1843. However, the United States did nothing to rectify any of the wrongs committed against the Mormons in Missouri. And now over 150 years later, the US government still stands. And so he said, not a pot shred will be left. A pot shred, that's like in archeology span when you find you know a little, a uh, few pieces of pots and you can kind of date when that city, when that civilization was destroyed. Uh, not a pot shred would be left now in 2023. Of course, uh, the U.S. government is still uh, it's still running things uh, quite poorly, I might add, but it is still running things. Joseph Smith also failed this prophecy. And so that brings us to number four, another prophecy made against the government, but this time specifically against Congress, that Congress would be broken up as a government. And so before we get into this, I just want to give a little bit of historical context. Joseph Smith, he was tired of injustices being committed against Mormons, and so he petitioned Congress. He specifically asked the governor of Illinois, a guy named Thomas Ford, to read his petition. And he got a letter from Ford saying, I didn't read it. I'm not going to read it. I, like, you need to force my hand if I'm ever going to read this. I don't even want to pay attention. And so Joseph Smith, he got frustrated by that. And then we see this recorded in the Millennial Star. Uh, that is an editorial of the Church of Latter-day Saints. And so I want to show you guys this. This is from that original editorial. Uh, While discussing the petition to Congress, I prophesied by virtue of the holy priesthood vested in me and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so pausing again, I'm just stressing how significant it is. It's extremely 
scary to say, hey, Jesus is saying this. It's not me talking. It's Jesus Christ talking, and I am just his mouthpiece. That's a very significant claim. I prophesied by virtue of the holy priesthood vested in me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if Congress will not hear our petition and grant us protection, they shall be broken up as a government and God shall damn them and there shall be nothing left of them, not even a grease spot. Not even a grease spot. That is very significant. Just like his last prophecy with not even a pot shred left, not even a grease spot will be left. Now, this petition to Congress, it was not heard by Congress. Congress never heard this petition, nor was protection, nor was it granted. Yet Congress was never broken up. It was never destroyed. It was never you know, consumed, torn down, whatever you want to call it. And it continues to function to this day, even despite the January 4th insurrection, even despite that, you know, what brave senators we have, uh, even despite that, Congress continues to function. Now, I'm going to show you guys something wild here. Uh, and this is, so that was what we just saw. That was buried deep in the archives of the LDS church. It, it, takes, uh, it takes some digging to find that. Let's just, just put it that way. Um, I wanna take a look at this put out. This is a, a little bit of a summary put out by, um, Brigham Young University, BYU.edu. It's talking about this, and this is the way that this portrays it. I prophesied by virtue of the holy priesthood vested in me and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that if Congress will not hear our petition and grant us protection, they shall be broken up as a government. Do you notice a difference in those two at all? You notice a difference? I'm going to go back to this, uh, this other one. Um, it says, they shall be broken up as a government and God shall damn them and there shall be nothing left of them, not even a grease spot. And so why is it that with here we see it just says uh, it'll be broken up as a government, whereas uh, when the older source tells us that, uh, that there will be nothing left of them, not even a grease spot, well, that's because the church, they tried to soften this prophecy. They tried to explain it away and they try to say, oh, what this really meant, it really meant that the party that was currently in power at the time, that that party would just lose power, right? How the Republicans and the Democrats that kind of go back and forth, who has more power uh, in the House and in the, in the Senate and the power will switch. And so first of all, A, what a pathetic prophecy. Uh, because the power will switch. That's like prophesying that the sun will rise tomorrow. That's obvious. That's clear. Duh. That's not, that's not going to earn you any points. The prophecy and B, the prophecy says God will damn them and nothing will be left of them. Not even a grease spot. A grease spot won't even be left of them. But the uh, LDS church, they recognize that's not what was originally said, and so they omit that when they talk about that nowadays. They're a little bit ashamed of the prophecy, and so they try to backpedal a little bit on it and make it seem more uh, tangible, more palatable. And so the so-called prophet, he seems to have failed here as well. I want to give this guy the benefit of the doubt, but I'm starting to lose trust in him.
And that brings us to our fifth prophecy that the Mormon church would find treasure in Salem, Massachusetts. And so the, again, this comes from the Doctrine and Covenants, which is considered Mormon scripture. They hold this on par with the Bible, taking this now from the LDS website, section 111 of the Doctrine and Covenants. The introduction says, Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet at Salem, Massachusetts in August of 1836. If we read this, I, the Lord your God, am not displeased with your coming this journey, notwithstanding your follies. I have much treasure in this city for you, for the benefit of Zion and many people in this city, whom I will gather out in due time for the benefit of Zion through your instrumentality. Therefore, uh, you should become acquainted with the people in the city, and it shall come to pass in due time. I will give this city into your hands that you shall have the power over it insomuch that they shall not discover your secret parts and its wealth pertaining to gold and silver shall be yours." shall be yours. Concern not yourselves about your debts, for I will give you power to pay them. I will give you power to pay them. Now, this prophecy did not come true. No treasure was ever discovered in Salem, nor did Salem fall into the hands of the Mormons. Joseph Smith got this one wrong. That brings us to prophecy number six, that pestilence, hail, famine, earthquake would come to destroy the wicked. And so I want to read this now. This is from Joseph Smith. And now I am prepared to say by the authority of Jesus Christ. Again, I cannot emphasize this enough. It is such an intense claim to say, Jesus Christ is the one speaking here. It's not actually me. And that's why the false prophets of the Old Testament, they would be put to death if they said that and it didn't come true. And so Joseph Smith, what he's saying here, he better be darn sure that this is the words of Jesus Christ. Uh, and now I'm prepared to say by the authority of Jesus Christ that not many years shall pass away before the United States shall present such a scene of bloodshed as has not a parallel in the history of our nation. Pestilence, hail, famine, and earthquake will sweep the wicked of this generation from off the face of the land to open and prepare the way for the return of the lost tribes of Israel from the north country. I wish that was true. I really do. The people of the Lord, those who have come applied with the requirements of the new covenant have already commenced gathering together in Zion, which is in the state of Missouri. Therefore, I declare unto you the warning which the Lord has commanded to declare unto this generation, remembering that my eyes, that the eyes of my maker are upon me and that I to him am accountable for every word I say, wishing nothing worse to my fellow man than their eternal salvation." Therefore, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Repent ye, repent ye, and embrace the everlasting covenant, and flee to Zion, before the overflowing scourge overtake you. For there are those now living upon the earth, whose eyes shall not be closed until they see all these things which I have spoken fulfilled. Remember these things, call upon the Lord while he is near, and seek him while he may be found." Uh, is the exhortation of your unworthy servant. Signed, Joseph Smith, 1833. So Joseph Smith says, before this generation passes away, keep in mind, it's 2023 at the time I'm recording this video, this generation is all dead. He says, there will be a disaster that falls on the US that the wicked will be 
cut off. They will be destroyed. They will be, you know, pestilence, plague, earthquakes, famine, whatever it takes to get rid of the wicked will come. Did that ever happen? No. Since then, of course, our, our country has only gotten dramatically worse, dramatically more evil, more wicked. Joseph Smith got this one wrong. I wish he got it right. I truly wish he got it right. But Joseph Smith got this one wrong. Now that takes us all the way to prophecy number seven, the Civil War prophecy. And this one is a doozy. Now, before we jump into it, I want to reiterate what we read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 13. And if we pull this up, it says, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord, your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord, your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And so essentially, if a prophet, if he says, I'm a prophet and he gives a prophecy and it comes to pass, that's not the end of the equation. We have to make sure, hey, does the rest of his prophecies, do they come to pass? Do the rest of his words, do they align with the Bible? And so with that in mind, let's jump into uh, the Doctrine and Covenants number 87. This is number 87. This is a prophecy about the Civil War. And I'm just going to read uh, the first six verses of uh, uh, section 87. Verily, thus saith the Lord concerning the wars that will shortly come to pass, beginning at the rebellion of South Carolina, which will eventually terminate in the death and, and misery of many souls. And the time will come that war will be poured out upon all nations, beginning at this place. For behold, the southern states shall be divided against the northern states, and the southern states will call on other nations, even the nation of Great Britain, as it is called, and they shall also come upon other nations in order to defend themselves against other nations, and then war shall be poured out upon all nations. And it shall come to pass after many days, slaves shall rise up against their masters who shall be marshaled and disciplined for war. And it shall come to pass also that the remnants who are left of the land will marshal themselves and shall become exceedingly angry and shall vex the Gentiles with a sore vexation. And thus with the sword and by bloodshed, the inhabitants of all earth shall mourn and with famine and plague and earthquake and thunder of heaven and the fierce and vivid lightning also shall the inhabitants of the earth be made to feel the wrath. 